scripture passage will be on the screen behind me. You can follow along out of Acts chapter 2. It says, They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. Lord, we pray that as we approach your word this morning, that you would make what was said about the early believers in Acts true about us as a local church family. Lord, today we ask that as your spirit is with us, as we look at the word, that he would move in our hearts and our minds to invest in this local family on mission. And Lord, make us the family that you dream of. Make us the people that you want us to be. And Lord, we need your empowerment for it. So we pray that your spirit's power would be present in all that we say and do. Lord, also just on this Memorial Day weekend, we remember those um, who have lost loved ones serving this country. And Lord, we pray especially for comfort on them and their families in this season as we remember those who sacrificed so much. Uh, we pray that you would heal, that you would mend, that you would encourage. And God, we give you thanks for all the blessings that you've given to us. Lord, we love your presence and we love to be with you. We thank you that we get to be with you together. In Jesus' name, amen. You can take your seats. Well, we're continuing on in our sermon series through the book of Acts. Uh, we will finish up chapter 2 today. And then I know it feels like we just got started in Acts, but we're actually going to take a break for the rest of the summer because we have two sermon series coming up, um, smaller sermon series. Next week, we're going to start a six-week mini-series in the book of James for the first half of the summer. I'm really excited about that, and I've been praying about that a lot. And then for the latter half of the summer, we're doing a summer uh, preaching series where six different preachers from our congregation are going to be sharing with you a promise from God's Word and preaching on that promise. Um, one thing we're very blessed with here at Crestmont is a number of gifted preachers. So I'm really excited uh, that they're going to be able to minister to you. So you'll he be hearing more about that. But for today, we're going to finish up in Acts chapter 2 together. I just read out of verses 42 to 47. So last week we celebrated, along with Christians from all around the world, the outpouring of the Holy Spirit at Pentecost. This had been promised in the Old Testament, promised by Jesus. The disciples at the beginning of Acts chapter 2 are waiting in anticipation in prayer for the gift that had been promised to them, and then it happens. The Holy Spirit is poured out, and there's quite a bit of manifestation, right, of God's presence associated with that. Tongues of fire on their heads and a sound of a mighty rushing wind, and they find themselves empowered to speak languages that they weren't able to speak before. And now this new group of people, this group of disciples, finds themselves filled with the very power and presence of God. And it's important to note 
that it's not just individuals that were filled, right? It's not just that individual people had isolated experiences of being filled with the Holy Spirit. It's that at the filling of the Holy Spirit, a family was formed, right? A group of people experienced this together, and they now find themselves experiencing the presence of God together. And I should point out, part of the deal about the disciples being empowered to speak in languages that they weren't able to before, and then declaring the wonders of God, particularly the resurrection of Jesus, declaring the wonders of God in languages that people could understand, is that on that day when 3,000 more people come into the family, it's a multi-ethnic, multicultural family that forms right away. Uh, This is not a family that's just defined by bloodline or defined by natural association, or defined by uh, looking like each other, or being in the same social class as one another. This is a family that has at its center the very presence and power of God. And right away, God demonstrates that this family is going to be inclusive of a lot of different groups of people, and that's some of what the pouring out of the Spirit means. Now, Every family, every well-functioning family has associated with it traditions, right? If you came to our house on Saturday mornings, uh, you would find waffles or pancakes, mostly waffles. Waffles being made nearly every Saturday morning. And, And if you have had these kinds of traditions in your family growing up or you're creating them for your kids, you know that these traditions are far more than just about, you know, menu on Saturday morning, Right? Um, we are helping to form our children's identity, right, in these traditions. It gives them a sense of rootedness in place. So whether it's what your family made for breakfast on Saturday morning growing up or your grandma's mac and cheese that she put her foot into, some of you don't even know what that phrase means. I didn't until recently. It's a multicultural family, that's all I have to say. Um, if it's your grandma's mac and cheese or it's traditions surrounding Christmas or Thanksgiving, these traditions help give us a sense of identity and rootedness. And I have good news for you today. If you grew up in a family where the people who were supposed to provide that for you either couldn't or wouldn't, and you find yourself this morning grieving that those opportunities weren't provided for you, well, you should know this. God has created a family, and in it, there's always room at the table. His love always welcomes you, and even if your birth origin family couldn't pull it together to give you what you needed, the family of God can wrap around you with his presence at the center. That's something that we can be a part of together. Amen? Amen. All right, so I want to point out some of the rhythms that were present with the early believers. Um, Luke, after the filling of the Holy Spirit in Acts chapter 2, goes on to paint a brief picture of what the church looks like when it's ideally functioning the right way, (laughs) all right? And I've already said it, the story of Acts is very messy, and so we're going to find lots of less than ideal pictures in the book of Acts, 
But here, Luke paints for us a picture of the early believers in Jerusalem and the way that they were living their lives together and what is possible when the Holy Spirit's power and influence is at the center of the family. So just so we understand some of what is being talked about in this passage. First of all, it says that they devoted themselves in verse 42. We could also translate this that they persisted. Um, This meant that the experience that happened with the Holy Spirit, which no doubt was a very emotionally intense experience, nonetheless was not just some uh, temporary thing. It wasn't just some emotional high that then faded away. What they experienced that day was more than emotion. And the evidence is in the way it transformed everything about their lives and the ways that they interacted with each other moving forward. So this is a lasting change that happened in their lives. So what did they persist in? They persisted in the apostles' teaching. Um, The leaders of the early church are faithful in teaching the word of God. Remember, these early believers would not have had a New Testament like we have that began to be written under the influence of the Holy Spirit in this time period. Um, but they would have had the Old Testament. So they're teaching out of the Old Testament and the apostles who are eyewitnesses of Jesus' teaching and his ministry are sharing verbally what they know about Jesus and his ministry. They also persisted, in verse 42, in fellowship. Now, we use this word all the time in church. This has become a very churchy word, fellowship. And it's a good word. It, typically, what we mean by it is that we're going to hang out with each other for some period of time and do what? Eat, right? We're going to eat together. And we're going to find out in this passage, eating is actually a very important part of what these early believers do. Thank God, right? That that's built into the package of what it means to be the church, right? But, um, but the word fellowship here is deeper than just spending time together eating, although that is part of it. It references a harmony in relationships that is evidenced by a unity in purpose. A harmony in relationships that is so deep that we're going to find out in this passage that these believers are willing to give themselves to each other in extraordinary ways. And so God doesn't just call individuals to himself. He calls a group of people to himself, a family. He creates harmony in those relationships by the love of God through the Holy Spirit. And there is evidence of this in very tangible ways. And then they persist in prayer, because it is unavoidable throughout the whole New Testament that prayer is God's method to accomplish his purposes on earth. He didn't have to make it this way, but he has made it this way. The way that we cooperate with God, first and foremost, in seeing his mission accomplished on the earth is in prayer. Prayer is individuals, but also coming together to pray together, something that we're going to see again and again in the stories of these early believers. Um, This passage tells us that there were many wonders and signs that were being performed by the apostles in verse 43. In other words, there is a supernatural culture that defines this group of early believers. This was true in Jesus' ministry. It gets transferred to the apostles, but we're going to find out that it's not just the apostles in the book of Acts who perform miracles. Uh, This is a way of existing together as believers in the family that was common to them wherever they went. What defines this family is not just human ideas or human teachings, but the hand of God is on this group of people and evidenced in power. That's some of what it means to be filled with the Holy Spirit again and again. Now, especially in the West, 
in the global West, and I mean the United States and Europe, many, many churches have forgotten or lost this aspect of what it means to be the family of God. But we have no biblical reason to think that this um, feature of what it means to be the family, that there's a supernatural culture as part of it, as the Holy Spirit works among us, we have no reason to think that this has stopped for any reason. As a matter of fact, evidence around the world um, demonstrates that this is still very much part of what it means to be the church. If you visit Africa or Southeast Asia or South America, you will see that like these early believers, it is unavoidable or the link between church growth and signs and wonders. Still around the world today, it is the working of miracles that is causing explosive growth in the church worldwide. We live in a time, uh, we don't often realize it here in the United States because we're so separated from these realities, but we live in a time in which more people are becoming followers of Jesus than ever before in history. And at the center of those movements is the working of power. Now, if there's something in us that says that's for Africa, Southeast Asia, South America, but it's not for us, that makes no biblical sense, and it speaks more to our fear than it does to how the book of Acts describes these early believers, right? Many of us in the Western church have so lost this aspect of what it means to be the church that as soon as the Holy Spirit begins to work in supernatural ways, our response is often cynicism or fear surrounding it. But it was a normal part of who they were together. But then look at this. They had everything in common, it says in verse 44, even selling their property and possessions. And this is actually what is meant by that word fellowship. It's not just spending some time together over a meal. It's actually being so committed to each other. The harmony in relationships is so strong that we're willing to disadvantage ourselves for the advantage of the community. We're willing to sell what we own to meet the needs of somebody else. And you can believe in the ancient world where getting more and more stuff, which is actually not just in the ancient world, it's something that still happens today, right? Where getting more and more stuff is what was valued above everything else. This um, picture of the believers selling what they had, selling their own possessions to give to the community, would have been radical and would have pointed out the power of God in their midst. It wasn't just signs and wonders in their midst that was a demonstration of God's power. It was also this radical sharing in their midst that was a demonstration of God's power. They met together in the temple, verse 46. This means that there's a disciplined rhythm to the way that they're living life together. A meeting in the temple probably indicates that they were still going to the temple in Jerusalem at the time of prayer, which they would go to the temple to pray three times a day. And so they entered this discipline together. We're going to say more about that in just a little bit. It says that they broke bread and they ate together. This probably refers to two things. First of all, the Lord's Supper, that they drank wine and they ate bread together to remember the sacrifice that Jesus made on the cross, something we and Christians all around the world still do today. But of course, in that remembering what Jesus did for us, there's also a relational aspect. Every time we take communion together, every time we celebrate the Lord's Supper, we are making a statement to each other that we are responsible for one another, that we're in the same family, that it's Jesus' blood that has brought us together. But this whole thing about eating together probably doesn't only refer to the Lord's Supper, it probably just refers to 
while eating together, going over each other's houses and sharing meals. Um, In the ancient world, it was a deep expression of friendship and commitment to share a meal together. And that's something that is somewhat still true today. When we really want to get to know someone, when we really want to spend time with somebody and go deeper in relationship, we often find a way to share a meal together. Um, But in the day in which these early believers lived, sharing meals almost never happened across lines of social class. Rich people ate with rich people. Poor people ate with poor people. And that's just kind of how it was. But I think if you walked into these meals of early believers, one thing that you would have found right away was rich and poor people eating together. The table, the dinner table, became a place that broke down social barriers between groups of people, and they were experiencing this together on a regular basis. They persisted in praising God, verse 47, because remember, he's the main character of the story. So it's his power that has made this family, and as this family operates in that power, all the praise goes back to God. They enjoyed the favor of the people, it says in verse 47. There's a phrase we like to use around here at Crestmont, go where the grace is. This means that not only was God's power on them, his grace on them for relationships in the family, but there was also grace for them to experience relationships outside of the family too. They had favor not just with other believers, but with unbelievers as well. Um, And this is one of the easiest things in sharing our faith with other people, if we can learn it, is just to notice where there is grace for relationships just to notice where God has given favor in relationships and to go to those relationships, spend time investing in them. Not to try to trick them into what we believe, but to genuinely become friends with them, whether they decide to believe what we believe or not. We go where the grace is. God was giving them favor for those kinds of relationships. And then lastly, the Lord added to their number. Daily, it says in verse 48, Because families on mission, which is the kind of family that God has formed, families on mission grow. They aren't exclusive. There aren't walls built up around them. There's always room for another seat at the table. The table's big enough to include everybody, and this is part of what it means to be the family of God in every age of history that that family has existed, that families on mission grow together. All right. I know a lot of this is familiar to us as a church because passages like this in Acts chapter 2 are what have helped to shape our church culture here at Crestmont. Uh, We want to look at how the Holy Spirit worked with those early believers and see what it means for us. So very often we ask four questions of passages that we look at together, and I want us to consider those four questions together now. So first of all, who is God? Well, this isn't said explicitly, Um, in this passage, but it certainly is said elsewhere in the New Testament. Anytime we start talking about God forming a family, we should talk about God as our Father. Um, We are told by Jesus to call him Father. When the disciples asked Jesus how to pray, the first thing Jesus said is to approach God by saying, our Father who is in heaven. That's a family term. It says something about the heart of God, and what he desires for his people. Um, if you have kids and, and you have more than one kid and you, there's sibling relationships in your house, you know 
that one of your desires as a parent is not just for your kids' well-being individually, but it's also for their relationships with one another, right? There's a certain kind of grief that happens, a certain kind of loss that happens if we start to see that our kids aren't getting along, right? And it's why we work so hard as parents to try to create that dynamic. When we call God Father, we're saying something about his heart for the family, about who he is. So if he's Father... Well, then who are we? Our second question. Well, we are an up, in, and out family on mission together. Very familiar language for us here at Crestmont. We're an up, in, and out family on mission. And I want to share with you some things that I believe God might be saying about this identity as an up, in, and out family on mission uh, together. I want to talk about what God might be saying to us about this today. First of all, I want to point this out. The Holy Spirit empowers the family. It's the Spirit of God who empowers the family. Um, I just went through verses 42 through 47, and you see a lot of different characteristics of this family on mission. But there is a person behind each and every one of those characteristics, and it's the Holy Spirit. It's not like some people who just believed the same thing got together and tried to make this happen, right? There is power behind their relationships, power behind this family that is forming. In my experience, I find that very many believers are, cert- are comfortable with certain aspects of the Holy Spirit's work in ministry, but uncomfortable with others. We're often comfortable with the things that feel familiar to us, that maybe we experience first in our Christian walk or first in our discipleship. We're often uncomfortable with the things that seem new to us. But everything on this list is coming from the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is who is empowering teaching from the Word of God, right? And it's also the Holy Spirit who is empowering this group of people to come together and to pray with one another, right? It's the Holy Spirit who is empowering the sharing of possessions. I mean, what a radical thing. And and think about for unbelievers, what evidence that God is real and that Jesus' claims are true when they see people selling their own stuff to give it to other people who need it. It's a radical display of love. It's the Spirit who is empowering that generosity. It's also the Holy Spirit who's empowering the signs and wonders, right? There isn't one thing on this list that is less Spirit-empowered than the other. It's all coming from Him. And this family dynamic did not exist before the Holy Spirit was poured out on the church on the day of Pentecost, right? So it's not about us just trying to make this happen, us looking at this passage and saying, okay, how can we copy it? How can we make it true for us here at Crestmont? We need power to make this happen, right? It's the Holy Spirit who has to create this in our midst. It's as we open ourselves up to him and his influence, not just as individuals, but in our relationships, that this dynamic gets created, right? So what dynamic gets created? An up, in, and out dynamic. Notice I have a chart here somewhere that everything on the list that we just read fits into one of these categories. If you've been with us at Crestmont for a while, we know you know that we use these three words to describe the rhythm of our family life on mission. When we talk about 
being up together, we're talking about connecting to God and prayer and worship, learning about him and teaching. When we talk about in, we're talking about connecting with each other in relationships. The scripture passage we read this morning talks about fellowship and sharing, meeting with each other, eating together. All of that is the in dynamic of discipleship. And when we talk about out, we're saying we're a family, yes, created by God, but we're a family on mission. And when the passage talks about signs and wonders and favor in relationships and God adding to their number, we're talking about that out dynamic of discipleship. And so it is the Spirit who creates this in us. Now, it is possible for local church communities to get lopsided in their discipleship. Um, To focus on one of these three things and to ignore the other two or to focus on two and to ignore one of them. So some churches are very up-oriented, and that's all they do. Uh, They're great at worship. They might love the experience of the Holy Spirit. Uh, They might love the spiritual gifts and love to see the Holy Spirit manifest in their meetings, but there might be very little relationally, or there might be very little outreach. And friends, you've heard me say it before, we want to embrace here at Crestmont everything that the Holy Spirit is doing But if it's not ultimately leading to mission, then we're missing something, right? Uh, We get filled so that we can be witnesses. We don't get filled just so we can have a show in church, right? Just so that we can experience something in church. Everything that we encounter in prayer and in worship is empowering us so that we can participate in the mission. Some churches are any churches. I don't know if we're talking about belly buttons or in in, (laughs) any churches. Um, And these churches are really tight. They have really close relationships. Um, They're really good at spending time together, at caring for their own. But what's the challenge of churches like this? They're very hard to break into, right? Um, Because if you don't have the up, if you don't have the out, that church, while it might be warm for people who are insiders to it, it's going to feel very exclusive. When an outsider comes into it, it's going to be hard for them to break in. And then there's some churches that are huge on outreach, evangelism. They emphasize the out at the expense of the others. But in those churches, you will often find people tired and discouraged because we know from our experience, many of you know from your experience, that if you try to engage the mission without a strong up and in culture, right, without a culture that's deep in prayer and connecting to God and worship and deep in relationship with one another, you're going to burn out very quickly. Um, Jesus engaged all three of these dynamics as he walked under the power of the Holy Spirit on earth. Um, He engaged his father in prayer. He connected with his disciples deep. And of course, he was out doing ministry all the time. So it's no surprise that the risen Jesus, as he pours out his Holy Spirit on the church, that the characteristics of Jesus begin to manifest in a group of people, right? We've been asking this question in the book of Acts, where is Jesus in the story? And one answer to that is Jesus is at the right hand of the Father, ascended, he's powerful, pouring out the power of the Holy Spirit from that place. But here's another real answer to that question. Where is Jesus in the story of the church? Well, he can be found in the harmony of our up, in, and out relationships with one another. Together, more than any of us could do individually, together we become a living picture of Jesus' presence and power and ministry on the earth. And that's infectious. It draws people to the family. 
Um, this is the last thing I want to say about the family, that the family is also organized and organic. I put this on the chart too. Um, uh, people tend toward one side or the other, but you actually see both in this passage. Some people tend more towards organic. They believe that if the Holy Spirit is really in it, that if it's really genuinely a move of God, there'll be very little organization to it, right? It'll just be organic in relationships. What happens will happen. What occurs will occur. And as soon as things start getting organized, uh, they feel like something is being killed or lost in the movement of the Holy Spirit, right? Other people are on the organized side of things, and they believe if God is really in it, it will reflect order, right? Every I will be dotted, every T crossed, and as soon as things start to get a little unplanned or more organic feeling, it threatens their sense of control and safety, and they wonder if God is in it anymore. In reality, we see both dynamics in this passage in the book of Acts. This family on mission is both organic and organized. Um, they're organic because they still are able to move with what the Holy Spirit is doing. Notice that when God poured out the Holy Spirit in Acts chapter 2, he did not birth an institution, right? He didn't start an institution, right? There wasn't a ribbon-cutting ceremony for a building, right? I'm not saying all of that is bad. There wasn't bylaws drafted, right, in the upper room. I'm not saying all of that is bad. I'm just saying what the Holy Spirit started was not an institution, but a family, right? And something, the organic nature of a family allows it to move easier with the circumstances, allows it to move better with what God is doing. Friends, if we want to be a movement empowered by the Holy Spirit, it means that we have to constantly work to make sure that things don't have to go through five committees before we can be obedient to God, right? Um, that we have to make sure that we hold our traditions loosely, Right? So that if the Holy Spirit challenges them if for us to do a new thing, that our answer can quickly be yes, right? Many, many churches aren't able to move with what the Holy Spirit is doing simply because there's been too much red tape built up over the years, too many things to challenge, too hard to change, all of those things. Well, if that's the kind of family we become, we'll miss out on the move of God. And friends, I've learned there is often a window where God is asking us to be obedient in, and you can miss that window, <laughs> right? Um, we can miss that window uh, by dragging our feet. So it's important for us to stay organic. But here's why being organized is, is important, and we're going to see this as we move forward in the book of Acts. If we don't have some organization to our relationships, some organization to our ministries, here's what happens. People get overlooked, and they get marginalized. They get left out. One reason we need to be organized is because organization allows us to look at the edges of our family on mission and notice who is being left out, and we can find intentional ways to include them. And so both of these realities are true. So what are you going to do about it? If this is our identity, if we're an up, in, and out family on mission that's both organized and organic, here's my one challenge for you this morning, and it's one you've heard from us in other ways. Stretch. Stretch in the family. Um, my guess is, as I just described up, in, and out, that some of you tend more toward one and less toward another. 
Um, Some of you prefer one more and you prefer others less. Listen, if out, if that out piece of discipleship where you go out and minister to people and look for uh, uh, relationships where there's favor, people who aren't part of the family yet, if that seems intimidating to you, then stretch. Um, Get close to someone who loves that out piece. Uh, Serve in a ministry here at Crestmont or one of our partner ministries that is reaching out. Intentionally lean into the place that makes you feel uncomfortable because that's how we grow. For some people, it's really the in piece that is terrifying to them. The thought that somebody would actually see you for who you are. The thought that you would actually be vulnerable in relationship with somebody else. I know, friends, there's a lot of people who come in and out of church and never engage that in peace. They relate, but always at an arm's length, right? Because they're afraid of what vulnerability and relationship might mean. And here again, my encouragement to you this morning is if you want to grow in the family, lean into the weakness. Um, We have lists of smaller gatherings out in the foyer. Join one of those. Get information on it. That might feel so uncomfortable for you, but it's in the uncomfortable places that we grow together. For some of us, it's the up that we feel least comfortable with. We think, oh, I could never pray like that person, or, oh, that person is experiencing something in worship that I've never experienced before, and we start comparing ourselves to other people. And I'd encourage you, if you feel like that's your area of weakness, lean into it. Lean into the place that makes you feel uncomfortable in the family, because that's how we grow together. Join us tonight for upper room prayer. Um, Um, Very many times, prayer gatherings and worship gatherings draw the people who love that up part of discipleship. And that's great. Get around them. Um, Let yourself be stretched by them. Uh, Let yourself grow in those places, but we can grow and stretch together. If one of the musicians could come forward. I just want to share a story as I close here. And I realize uh, a passage like this, a sermon like this, is very... um, kind of Crestmont 101 for us. We talk about this stuff all the time, but it's good to press a reset in this passage. But I don't want us to lose sight as we talk about up in and out, as we talk about um, how God has formed a family on mission. I don't want us to lose sight of what this actually means. Because in the middle of this rhythm of up in and out, in the middle of the harmony of relationships, in the middle of the sharing, in the middle of the preaching and teaching, in the middle of the praying together is what? God's love. And you see, in the end, it's really God's love that is accomplishing the mission. Notice what it says in verse 47. It says, the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. That's pretty radical for a lot of churches to think about because, friends, I know a lot of churches and a lot of pastors, if you get into a room where a bunch of pastors are together, one thing you will hear sooner than later is you will hear talk about how to get our churches to grow, right? And the conversation then very often goes into methods. If we do this better, more people will come. If we do this better, more people will come. If we tweak this, more people will come. And listen, not all of that is bad insofar as it helps us to think about how people connect to us and how we can love them better. Not all of that is bad. But there's only one design for people to get added to the family. And here it is, the Lord added to their number. 
in the end, Jesus has to do it, right? No pastor can do it. No program can do it. And I'll tell you what, in the day and age in which we live, where less and less people are going to church, especially less and less younger people, you know this is happening nationwide, but we live in a part of the country where it's happening very rapidly. Um, More and more churches in our area are closing. But let me tell you a gift in that. As threatening as that might seem to the Christian community, here's a gift in it. It's that we remember our need for the Lord. See, in a day and age where people don't wake up on Sunday mornings, generally speaking, people don't wake up on Sunday mornings and say, where is the church with the best programs I could attend? Right? Um, There was a day, an age, in which that happened more in our culture. But it's happening less and less. But the gift in it is that it kind of sheds away from us all the things that aren't the Lord. (laughs) Right? And we remember these early believers... Their number was being added to daily. The family was growing. The mission was advancing. Sharing was happening. Miracles were being performed. Teaching was happening. And they were definitely minorities in the culture in which they lived. Imagine, just a few weeks after Pentecost, there was nobody in Jerusalem waking up on a Sunday morning saying, well, what church can I attend today, right? No such thing even existed, right? They're meeting in the temple but the Lord is doing it. And that's the beautiful thing about a family on mission is the love of God has its own attractional quality to it. Um, Whether our programs are awesome or not, whether our preaching is stellar or not, whether our carpet is fantastic or not, good thing we have that down. (laughs) No matter what, there's an attractional quality to the love of God right? And it catches people's hearts, and they want to be a part of it. I've seen this again and again. Just a quick story. Um, Years back, some of you will remember some of the details of this story, Um, but there was a guy in our community who was hanging out on the same corner every night. I would see him there, and you know, our community is a small enough place that when you see someone new, you notice. And so one day, I was driving by with one of our summer staff members from Aliquip Impact. He was a Nyack college student. And this is like the 10th time I was passing this guy. And so I just said, let's just stop and let's get out and talk to him. It was like 11 o'clock at night. We had just finished up watching a movie. And we got out, and I introduced myself, and I asked him his name. He told me his name. Later on, he told me, that nobody had ever asked his name before. That no one had ever approached him and just asked him what his name was. See, friends, this is what I'm saying. There's so many people in our world, they're not waking up looking for the best new church program. But there are people in this world who are waiting for someone to ask them their name. There are people in this world waiting to feel love for the first time. And see, very many of those people, they do want Jesus even if they don't know anything about the church or anything about who Jesus is, but they do want him. You know, that guy, super messy story, but we found a way to let him belong before he believed. And this is an amazing capacity of being a family on mission, is that you can include people even before they've decided to believe what you believe. The family is so inclusive. There's a way that the family kind of just draws people in to this this rhythm of discipleship. 
And so that's what started to happen. He started to participate in up, in, and out with us. He'd come to gatherings like this. He'd join in in prayer meetings. He had never seen anything like what he was seeing with us. He'd come on Sunday morning, had only been in a church a handful of times. But then the in part started to develop the more he came around us. And he started to go out to lunch with people. He started to be invited into people's homes. Talking about radical sharing, he even lived with a number of people from this congregation. And what unfolded was a terrible story of sex trafficking that had followed him for many, many years. And we were some of the first people who were loving him without wanting to get something out of him that was going to degrade him in the process, right? Um, I remember thinking I never had heard a story like what he was sharing with us. And he'd even jump in on out stuff because people can just come along with us as we do what we do in the mission. Even as we engage other people, he would just come along. But he just started to participate and up in and out, up in and out, up in and out. Now, some of you are friends with the individual I'm talking about on Facebook. And if you are, then you know that he is not in a good season right now. Um, I wish I could stand here and tell you that this story was tied up in a neat package at the end. It's not. Um, things are pretty bad. Um, we're still waiting for God to do some things. But here's what I can tell you about him. My last phone conversation, which was a couple years ago, um, we talked and he told me this. He said, Joel, of all the places I've been, Nobody ever loved me like Crestmont loved me. And see, that's not a testimony to how great we are. That's just the family on mission being the family on mission. And I don't know how the story is going to wrap up for my friend. He needs a lot of deliverance. He needs a lot of things changed in his life still. But here's what I know. In this long story of heartbreak and this long story of pain, he's able to look back over his story and identify a family on mission that included him, that loved him, that brought him in. And somehow, I gotta believe that there's moments when the Holy Spirit comes to him and points out the only time he felt true love. And that time was when he was with people who were followers of Jesus. Listen, my friend, to this day, he doesn't care what worship music you play in your church. Promise. Uh, I doubt he remembers any of my sermons. Um, he's not looking for church programs, but he is looking for love. And the cycle of what it means to be an up, in, and out family on mission means that we are a people of love for people who need it the most. Amen. Amen.